Hello and welcome back to Team Talk on the Bottom Bins podcast. This is our second episode uh, hosted by myself, Richie, where I speak to fans of clubs directly and we try and get some insight on the football club that they support. Glad today to be joined by one of my best friends and our resident voice of, of uh, his disdain um, at some of our opinions on Everton, Connell. Connell, how's things? Uh, you know, I can't complain, all smiles on my end. Happy days, glad to hear it. Listen, we've been, I've been trying to get you on to this for a while and finally glad to get it sorted. So, look, first things first, I would just want to talk to you about the current situation of Everton at the minute. Obviously, just come off a fantastic result of the weekend against Arsenal. Deitch ball back and in full effect at Goodison. But on an overall sort of of this season, Connell, it's... It it hasn't been playing sailing for for Everton this season, and probably hasn't been playing sailing for probably the last twenty four months now. So, as a fan, then how has it been to support Everton over these last couple of years? I genuinely don't think that it could have been much worse. The only way that it could have been worse would have been relegation last season, and up until that win last week, I thought relegation this season was absolutely guaranteed. It was abysmal it was it's hard to choose between Lampard's team this year and Benitez's team last year for the worst Everton teams I've seen yeah and and to be honest watching Everton you know like me and you would go on and watch uh, Everton games quite a bit especially like when Everton play United we do tend to watch it together but this this last wee while I, I haven't seen Everton as poor um in a long time but are you are you cautiously maybe optimistic now that, that because Daesh has come in that you still probably avoid the drop now? I, I think that the important thing was that we got Daesh before Southampton or Leeds or maybe West Ham were able to get Sean Daesh in. Um, op- optimistic, I think, would be a stretch. Uh, I think if Daesh had have been appointed maybe three or four weeks earlier... I think then, yeah, at the minute, it's still very touch and go. You know, they were saying it's it's like 17 cup finals. That's what the rest of the season is. Every game is a cup final for us. Yeah, every game will matter from now, especially considering just how tight those, those teams are around the bottom of the league. But look, obviously, there has been a lot of controversy surrounding um, Everton this season, and it has come to light sort of in recent weeks. I know, obviously, you're a massive Everton fan. You know all about the protests, and, and they have been going on for quite a while now. But to what extent now do you think the fan base is just fed up with the ownership? And for those who maybe don't know what's going on at Everton, could you just give us a wee bit of an insight into what it is exactly that, that the Everton fans are protesting against? Uh, it's We are the worst-run club out of the top divisions anywhere in Europe, and I don't think it's very close. We have a board with our owner who, to be fair, has come in and has spent his money, but isn't a man who he doesn't know football. He doesn't have football experience. He's a businessman. He's an accountant. So he's come in and made footballing decisions. Uh, a chairman who, let's be honest, should have left the club maybe 10 years ago, Bill Kenwright. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um you have club legends Graham Sharp sitting on their sitting on their hands on the board doing nothing. Um, you got a CEO in Denise Baxendale who, honestly, nobody knows what she does. Like nobody knows at the club what her role is because nothing she does has ever been any sort of positive spin for the club. 
and look, I know it's it's it is maybe a bit hard to then have that sort of performance in the boardroom then reflected on the pitch. But could you see it within the players maybe this season? Could you see that sort of bad blood and that distaste maybe spilling out onto the football field this year? The players, absolutely. I have no no reason to believe that they didn't throw the toys out of the pram and give up Frank Lampard. And to be fair, it wasn't working. It wasn't going to work. But you could see on the pitch that players wanted change. Players don't want to be here. You know, the scenes when you've got Anthony Gordon and Yeri Mina being blocked in by their cars, fans giving them abuse. Um, you, you could see exactly what the club had become and it had become so toxic. That's the only way to describe it. Toxic. The atmosphere around Goodison is vile. The atmosphere on social media, vile. There's no... There, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. And when you were facing possible relegation, relegation at our position is not just relegation. Relegation at our position is liquidation. The club wouldn't survive without Premier League money in its current state. Yeah, and and th- that, that insight is totally correct, Connell, totally correct. And look, realistically, I have to ask you this um, because it... it it was talked about so much on social media when the videos emerged of, of fans, you know, sort of crowding around players' cars. And and look, obviously, we're we're fans from the north of Ireland here, so we do maybe only get over to see our t- our our sides, you know, two, three, maybe four times a year if if we're lucky. But look, I know you're not there obviously every week, but how did you perceive that that sort of behaviour from the fans? Did you think that was acceptable, or were you sort of in in the the line of look, maybe that was a step too far? I think that a lot of it was blown out of proportion by the media. I think the likes of the Anthony Gordon incident, it was it was a crowd of you know fourteen, fifteen year olds, maybe ten of them surrounded his car, and you know. You can absolutely understand why the fans are upset watching your players who are on hundreds, thousands of pounds a week driving away in their Porsches and their Range Rovers after getting battered at home by Brighton 4-1. It has completely boiled over and it's it wasn't just, the incident wasn't just about the players, it was about the whole club and the whole club has been in a steady decline since Ronald Koeman was in charge. Yeah, and that is something you always talk to me about. Anytime you know we're we're in the pub or we're just meeting up and we're talking about football, you always say that that that's where sort of the trouble started when he was given that much money to spend, and and ultimately now that is it, it has left you hindered in the transfer market. And coming on to the transfer market, then Connell, look, obviously January spent no money, got Sean Dyson in in through the through the door, but no money was spent. Does that worry you, considering the other teams around you all spent in January? Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that, you know, you always want to bring somebody new in. You don't want to go through a transfer window, especially in the position that we were in, without making any sort of sign-ins. I mean, we had one sign-in that was a done deal, and he had finished his medical and had taken photos and met with our players, and then suddenly he wound up at Tottenham, so... Yeah, bit annoying that one. <laughs> the club, the club did say, and Dice said it in his first interview. There were funds there, but he also made it very clear that he does not buy a player 
for the sake of buying a player. He will buy a player if it's better than what he has at the minute. Yeah, and I think that's a, <laughs> there is absolutely nothing wrong with a manager having that kind of philosophy, to be honest. Makes sense. Um, look, written in the stars, really, that <laughs> Dwight McNeil would, have, would, have, would assist James Tarkovsky for the goal at the weekend, a goal made in Burnley. Um, again, look, does it sort of does it instill that wee bit of hope in you that there are players there that have worked under Deitch? They understand exactly the the type of work that they're going to have to put in here. Some of the Everton players have the experience of relegation battles on their hands. So does it give you a bit of hope then that, look, our guys have been in the mud before. They've been worn in the trenches. They can get through this. I think, and a lot of people might disagree, we're not the worst squad in the Premier League. We're not one of the three worst squads in the Premier League. Like, well, there are players there. Um, You know... James Tarkovsky and Connor Cody is a very solid duo at the back. Agreed. You know, Amadou Nana in the middle of the park has been an absolute revelation. And when you play it with strengths, as we saw against Arsenal, he didn't score, but it was his best performance since Carlo Ancelotti left. Dominic Calvert-Lewin will score you goals if he is given the right service. So I think there is definitely optimism there. I think the players that he has... Or players who will run themselves into the ground for him. Uh, there was a stat in Sky Sports on the, was talking about the most distance covered by an Everton player this season. Yep. And 80% of those distances were covered in that Arsenal game. And it just shows you the yeah. difference in work rate. I, Dwight, Dwight McNeil never stops running. And I have been his harshest cr- critic since he's come to the club. I didn't think he was good enough. I, spent, I thought we overspent. But, you know, something for the Everton fans will always support a player. You don't have to be technically the best, but you'll always support a player who tries. You know, you've got the likes of Stephen Nesmith, absolute cult hero. Yeah. Wasn't by any means the greatest footballer, but Stephen Nesmith tried. Or the famous one from when I was younger, Dennis Strachwell-Arcy. Yeah. (laughs) Dennis Strachwell-Arcy had no football in the building. But he would run himself into the ground for 90 minutes. And the Everton fans still love him. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And look, speaking about like the Everton fans and as a whole, um, Connell, obviously you've experienced Goodison. Um always talked about as one of the best atmospheres in the Premier League. Always anytime, you know, media or, or anytime, you know, fans are just talking about English football in general, Goodison is always one of the fortresses of English football that people talk about. Obviously it's it, you, you aren't going to be in, in Goodison for much longer. But what like what's your take on that? Are, are you afraid of maybe losing that sort of atmosphere when you move to a new stadium? Or do you think look it's natural progression for the club. It's about time that that they they kept up with these new facilities as such well ultimately you've hit the nail on the head there you have to expand and build new to make money to compete because that's what football is now football is a money game and for the likes of financial fair play you need to increase the club's revenue gotta have a bigger stadium and you just cut and expand goodison or renovate goodison and you know you will obviously miss it you know it's a very historic ground you know great memories great events but the team who they brought in to build the new stadium and his work with the club, I I think the atmosphere will transfer over very well. It's going to be an unbelievably tight pitch the way that Goodison was. Fans are going to be right on top of it. You know, 
an extra 10,000 Evertonians screaming at you for 90 minutes, I think that the new stadium is going to be absolutely fantastic on the basis that we're still in the Premier League. Well, look, I mean, I, I to be honest, like when we did our mid-season reviews there, I had no qualms about Everton. Like, I do think they are going to stay in the Premier League, to be honest. I know, obviously, you're a supporter. You watch them every week. You know more than I do about the club. But I just, as a football institution, like, Everton are a massive, massive club. And they, they're they the only club to to boast the stat that they have never been relegated from, from the top division. Um, and look... You talked a wee bit there, Connell, about Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who I do think is a talented striker. Um, And definitely, you know, when he come off the other day, Everton did sort of lose a gear up top. But you were very adamant with me over the last few years that you would cash in on him if if you got a good price. But listen, different situation now for Everton. How important is he going to be to keeping Everton in the Premier League? Absolutely vital. Uh, Just to go back on your point about looking to cash in, I, I was always under the impression that we, we would lose one of Richarlison or Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, at the time, and I would probably still say it now, I would have rather lost Calvert-Lewin than Richarlison. I think I'd rather have Richarlison there now. But he, he's going to be massive because there's no other options up top. You know, Neil Mopé, uh, as much as I like him because he just comes at the pitch and winds people up, yeah. Neil Mopé is not going to score five goals between now and the end of the season. Yeah, and our only other option is Ellis Sims, who had a decent enough loan spell at Sunderland, but you know it's completely unproven at the Premier League level. So keeping Calvert-Lewin fit and playing to a system that suits him, Lampard really did not suit Calvert-Lewin at all. Like when he was at his absolute best under Ancelotti, Dominic Calvert-Lewin didn't leave the eighteen-yard box. Yeah. He's a, he's a poacher, that's what he is. He does not leave the 18-yard box. And I think Dyche is going to have something very similar for him. You know, he's phenomenal in the air. And Dyche is crosses, you know, low, hard drives, balls over the top. That's what he can feed off. And just speaking about the previous manager, then Connell, obviously, I would have always, like, we would have always joked about with one another, especially when United were doing bad and when Everton were doing bad, we'd, we'd give each other a good bit of stick. But look, I never thought Lampard was really the right man for Everton. Don't get me wrong, he did an amazing job keeping Everton up last year. He really, really did. But he tried to sort of change that style of football then when he came in this year. Um, like, realistically, what is the best... What, what What's the best football you think Everton play? Because Lampard was very much... He, he, Lampard had sort of gone to a, a different direction was really looking to try and sort of play out from the back and all and then you know you watch Everton against Arsenal and it's long kicks up the pitch from the goalkeeper using their physicality and their presence in midfield to, to win the ball do, do you think that this is the best progression now for so yes then ultimately Connell what what is the best way for Everton to play football in your opinion based on the team that we have now I enjoyed the game against Arsenal more than I've jo- enjoyed any game that we've played since Carlo Ancelotti left. I think ultimately yeah. it you just have to play. And I think the criticisms, especially from what I was reading on Twitter from a lot of Arsenal fans, there was a lot of unwarranted criticism about the way that we played because we didn't mm-hmm. ha- hold on to the ball. We had 30% possession and had more shots on target. Yeah. I like I much prefer I don't want to I don't want to watch 
us pass the ball around the back for 20 minutes. You know, I want to watch us get the ball and go direct up the pitch and stick the ball in the back of the net. That That's what well, I exactly. want to see. And I think either you have a perfect midfield for it now with, you know, Amadou Onana, Abdelaide Kure, who looked like a man reborn at the weekend. You've got Alex Awobi yeah. and Idris guy, And I think that that is a perfect group to play that kind of football. Exactly, and look for people can can criticize all they want, Connell. Like at the end of the day, football's a result a results business, and Everton took the three points, and Arsenal didn't. It's it's as simple as that. Um, a question that I, that I'm going to be asking um, everybody on this series, and Connell is, what's a realistic ambition for Everton in five years' time? Where 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 do you see the club all being well, and you know, Dice, you know, gets to spend a bit of money. Maybe things get sorted out in the boardroom. What's what's the best possible scenario for Everton? Do you think for for five years' time? The best possible scenario, seventh. A comfortable seventh, you know, knocking on the door of the Europa League. Something similar to where West Ham were last season. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't take, you know, an age to rebuild in football. You know, if you hold on to the good things that you have now, two or three signings, you're right up to the table. Like, the table is so packed at the moment. You're six points from the top half. Yeah. It's honestly, it is just a lottery of who who do you bring in? I think we'll have the extra money with the new stadium. Uh, I'd like to think that that is a bigger draw to players as well. You know, they want to come play Definitely. in a nice fancy new stadium. I think ultimately you want to be knocking on the door and challenging for cups. Yeah, I completely agree. If, if completely you offer agree, me, Everton. you know, a year of Europa League football or a League Cup or an FA Cup but you have to finish 10th. I'm taking the cup every time. Yeah, look, trophies Trophies is what everybody's fighting for, ultimately. Don't get me wrong, yes, I, like, I understand what you're saying. Like, yes, getting into Europe's important and all, but look, winning trophies, filling the trophy cabinets is is much more important. Um, Look, just on the topic of transfers then, obviously, look, I know Everton are a wee bit hindered at the minute um, because of the likes of FFP and stuff and, and trying to get players out the door so that they can make more signings. But in, in, in terms of sort of realistic signings then for the summer, Connell, where do you think Everton need to address and what sort of players do you think Everton need to be looking at then um, come the summertime? Uh, it's mostly, mostly on the attack. I think a winger and a number nine are absolutely vital. Uh, I, I would like another fullback. You know, we're still trumping Shane's Coleman out there. 36 years uh-huh. of age and to be fair it's no disrespect to Seamus he's been a phenomenal player but he's 36 he shouldn't be starting in the Premier League and Patterson Patterson's been very good when he's played but that's the big thing it's when he's played and he's just not been available yeah. enough so we need to bring somebody in there um, there's a lot of talk about Jordan Pickford leaving to go to Tottenham maybe and I think for the right price I, I would let that happen. Yeah. And the the biggest thing, and it's not making a sign in, the biggest thing for us will be holding on to Amadou and Anna. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely, because there's there's gonna be clubs interested in him in the summer. Although look, in all seriousness, Connell, if a club did come in with say 50, 60 million um for the likes of Onana, do you think that could be, you know, would you be happy enough to let him go for that price because then that money could be reinvested? Or do you feel like, look, Onana has to stay at Everton no matter what? For 60 million, there would be no chance. 
when I base that on, we've just sold Anthony Gordon for 45. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't let Amadou Anana leave Everton for anything less than 80 million at the minute. Wow. He's, wow. He's, tw- he's 20 wow. years of age. He plays for his national team. And ultimately, now, mm-hmm. it's it's not a buyer's market. It's a seller's market. What, yeah, that's what we ask for that's is true. what you'll pay for. And, you know, with clubs, you know, you look at Newcastle now and just all, all the clubs around, there's money in the Premier League to be thrown. And I think that's when you have to start charging. Yeah, no, definitely, especially if you are selling to, to other clubs in the Premier League. Agreed, lad, agreed. Um, again, another question I'm asking everybody in this series. Who is your favourite ever player to have played forever? Tim Cahill, 100%. Blue Kangaroo. The Blue Kangaroo. And what was it about Tim Cahill then that, you know, has maybe made him stand out above? Because at the end of the day, like, you've seen some very talented players come through the door. Like, the likes of James Rodriguez was absolutely phenomenal at Everton. But what... Uh, even Mikel Arteta, um, Fellini. Uh, I know Fellini's maybe not the, the sexiest of names. I love Marlon Fellini. I, I would never disrespect <laughs> the man. Yeah, did an absolute job for, for both of our clubs. Um, so what is it that puts Tim Cahill on a pedestal above players like that there? There was something, it was just, I don't know if it's the way that the club was at that time. You know, we were in Europe every year. You know, a couple of, couple of good cup runs, but there was just something about Tim Cahill who, when you needed him, he would step up and he would drag the team. And, you know, obviously he was not as good of a footballer as a Mikel Arteta or a Leighton Baines or a Stephen Pienaar, but he would fight with everything he had for the badge. Like, he was... I've never seen a man who can head a ball that well, ever, for a man who was five foot ten. And he was the yeah. most dominant player in the air I think I've ever seen. He was outstanding. He was. Tim Cahill was a very, very special player, a very, very good footballer, to be fair. And um, probably, you'd probably say he's probably Australia's greatest ever export, like, oh, wouldn't yeah. he be? I, I don't think there's any, I think there's a level that he is above the likes of a Harry Kuhl or Mark Viduka. Um, I, I, I would give an honourable mention to. Um, to James Rodriguez, the greatest player that no Everton fan ever saw play live. You know, it feels like a fever dream when we were sitting second in the league on Boxing Day <laughs> under Ancelotti <laughs> with under no Ancelotti, fans on the yeah. ground. It it just doesn't feel yeah. real. No, like that was I was a real, real shame to be honest that, that no Everton fan got to see James Rodriguez. There's only one man to blame right. for it. Yeah. Rafael oh. Benitez. Oh, but he did. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like Boris Johnson or something for locking us down. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with uh, Based on the um, interview that he gave last week, Benitez essentially came in at the preseason training and told Hamas, you're 30, you're too old, uh, you're not going to be in my team, told him to find a new club, and then decides to replace Hamas with a 30-year-old Andros Townsend. Uh Typical, really. Benitez was brutal. Uh, brutal I was two away games last year, QPR in the Cup and uh, Crystal Palace in the league. And, you know, a lot of people say the hatred of Benitez was because he was Liverpool. I don't care, don't care that he managed Liverpool. He just played the most putrid, vile football. And, and it, it's mad, though, because, like, Benitez does still have a name in football. But yet, you know, 
you did you went and seen that football live and it's as you said just shocking really wasn't it it, it was with the crystal palace game was a lot worse I, I give it you know losing the qpr and penalties in the in the first round of the league cup but the crystal palace game to get battered all over the pitch by palace we made Connor Gallagher look like Kevin De Bruyne that night. <laughs> oh no, he was he was absolutely shocking. Um, again, just another question I'm asking everybody on the series. Um, when was the first time you ever seen Everton live? And just d- describe a wee bit of that that experience that you had with the first time that you that you went to Goodison. I want to say it was two thousand and five, two thousand and six. Wow, I want to say, and it was a home game against Wigan. That was a two-all draw. I'm almost certain. Um, I remember the the weeks. One of one of my big memories is the weeks leading up before the match. Uh, my dad gave me an Everton program and made me yeah. learn all the players' names off the back of it before I went. Um, <laughs> I just think it's like it's it's surreal when you're that young. And you go in, to, you know, I, I don't think I'd never seen a stadium like that. And, you know, you think it's only good as some, but, you know, when you're going in at six and you see that and then, you know, you see the players coming out onto the pitch and you're just overwhelmed. Yeah, you're totally um, overwhelmed. Totally overwhelmed. Meeting the players, like, after the game in the car park and stuff, I think I've still got a photo with Mikel Arteta somewhere in my room. Um, just surreal. At the your first match day experience is always just just something special. Um, there is a there is something I want you to tell the the viewers listening at, at home though, and it's a story that you've told me many a time. But there's a certain bar in Liverpool um, that your dad, uh, you and your father used to frequent um, before match days. Do you want to let the viewers at home know about uh, this bar? Uh, a wonderful, wonderful institute that isn't there anymore. And the penny farthing. <laughs> And a fella came in in a trench coat with a load of books inside of it. You know, do you want to buy Ian Rush's autobiography? Do you want to buy Kenny Dalglish's biography? My dad says, no. No, Everton fan, he goes, right, give me five minutes. Five minutes later, comes back, opens up the trench coat. He's got Graham Sharp's autobiography in the pocket. <laughs> Ian just went up to the shop and robbed it. <laughs> Every time you tell that story, but I, that's unreal. Like that's that's a football memory that you take. That is football. that is one of the the core memories. That right, my my core Everton memories is you know it's the first game, it was the first European game that I went to when we beat uh, Zenit St Petersburg at home. Uh, watching yeah. Umarni Ass come off the bench against Bournemouth and score the winner. Just core footballing memories. Oh, unreal. Unreal. Um, yes. Uh, next question then, Connell. What is your best memory or your best ever moment? Um, as as an Everton supporter, though? I don't want to say Palace last year because I don't want the best memory to be us staying up. Um, yeah. I suppose the the best moment is um was the same season. It's two thousand and nine. So obviously, you know, a prime Man United team. No. Yeah. You were in the European Cup final and stuff, and there's talk of the quadruple and beating Man United on penalties in the semi final, and then going into the final against Chelsea, and Luis Aha scored the quickest ever goal in the FA Cup final. Yeah. And 
you know, as it's always as I always say, it's the hope that kills you. Uh, and ended up losing two one that day, but I think just that from scoring after twenty seconds, and I think just in general the entire season, I suppose season and a half that Roberto Martinez first had when he came. I think you know getting seventy two points in the league, and then the European journey that next year, although it ended very poorly, likes of you know beating Wolfsburg four 0 at Goodison or four one at Goodison. That was a Wolfsburg that had Kevin, Kevin De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne time, didn't give a sniff on the pitch because Gareth Barry had him the whole night. Gareth Barry, but that's not a, that's not a good player. Just there, there has been like as awful. There's a quote from the chairman when the fans are protesting, talking about how you know we've had good times, and nobody wants to say, "No, those are the good times." But when you haven't had much to celebrate, those are the good times. I like don't see yeah. you know, the likes of yourself support Man United. You've seen you've seen them win everything. Whereas I've seen yeah. I've seen us win nothing. So a good time for me is, you know, a nice win or a nice trip in Europe or a nice cup run. Which look, again, it is just that difference. Um, especially like, you know, with supporters um here from the north of Ireland, it like people are very much like you know Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, um, Chelsea. Uh, you're starting to see a few Man City jerseys and stuff yeah. crop up, and like I know, like my family, like even Spurs. There's not many Spurs fans out there, but to be fair, Connell, like I do know a, a right few Everton fans. So I suppose this leads us on perfectly to the next question. Um, why do you support Everton? What's what is the what what was the main reason that that you support Everton? Um, I think it's I think it's I think the cardinal rule in football is you support. Your local team, you support your dad's team. And my dad's team was Everton. That's that's it. There was no ifs, buts, or maybes. It was you're you're that, you're as Everton fans say, you're born, not manufactured. And yeah. I was it, I was just born into it. It's all all I've ever known. And would not have it any other way. And I suppose then, like, you know, whenever your dad, um whenever your dad was growing up, obviously, um and even just before you were born. Um, like Everton were, Everton were a very successful football team, and it's. I think it is something that a lot of fans, especially around our age, Connell, don't really know about because it was it was before our time, obviously. But if you just want to let the viewers at home know, like how how good were Everton then when when your dad was supporting? I mean, when he was my age, we had, we won two league titles in three years, a European Cup Winners Cup and FA Cup, and uh, a lot a lot of a lot of fans, a lot of pundits said. Had had they been given the opportunity, would have won the European Cup. Obviously, yeah. never got the opportunity. So it's it's all a it's all a maybe. But you know, you had the the boys in that team, the, the legends. You know, all starting England internationals. You know, Neville Southall, considered one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time. Uh, Graham Sharp just scored for fun. Gary Lineker for a season. You know, another legend of the game. Like the team was, yeah. they were that good. They, they're the only team to go in and just dominate that Liverpool team in the eighties. Yeah, like even like I know, uh, I like when you were saying about the cardinal rule there about supporting who your dad supports. Like, um, I, th- I suppose it's because my dad was never really. My dad was never really big into football as such. It was always like my granddad and my uncles. They were always massive Spurs fans. But um, 
I understand what you're saying about, you know, being born and not manufactured, but like I was just sort of free to choose whoever I wanted to choose. And um, right. that that's why I ended up supporting Man United. You would like, never regret it? Um, I, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't. Um, but, you know, like, don't get me wrong, I do look at Oshin sometimes. And like, you know, obviously, like my family are all Spurs. And sometimes you do sit there and you do feel a bit out, out of the loop at times because they're all so focused on one football club. And like, that's the thing, like, you always go to the games with your dad. And um, like, my, my dad would never step up in Old Trafford. Like, he'd tell me to fuck off if I asked him to go to a game. Um, but like, honestly like for for those at home even as well like obviously like you and your dad go, do go to Everton at, at least once a season if not twice a season so um what like what has been some of your like favorite memories and just like going to see Everton live is there any like one particular goal or like even a memory before the game or after the game or anything that you can think of that you were there live and you think to yourself you know I, I was there I um, there, there is a couple um I remember it was the airport on the way home after the Zenit game. A place was yeah. full, full of Russians, full of Zenit fans. And this fella came up and talked to my dad. He was talking to him for about 10 minutes. And we ended up, you know, swapping flags and swapping scarves. I still got the Zenit scarf up there. And I was only awesome. eight years old, I think, at the time. You know, that's, that's a memory that sort of you sort of hold on to. Um, in, ter- in terms of goals... Honestly, if we're talking about my favourite goal that I've ever seen, it's Umar Nias against Bournemouth because we were terrible that season and we signed Nias and he was Russian Premier League Player of the Year. You know, yeah, big money, like 15 million at the time was fairly big money. Yeah, was, uh, then it turned out money. that he wasn't actually very good at football. And, uh, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it was one all and Umar came off the bench. And the place just erupted, and he scored. He scored the three one win, and the whole place just absolutely went mental. And and all seriousness, sorry, I can't sorry to cut across you, but you know, like so many people in the media, and like because I've never been to Goodison, so I I've never experienced it. Like I lived in Liverpool and always wanted to get to a game, but could just never get round to getting to one. But what is like for for anyone that's not an Everton supporter and, and hasn't seen um Everton live or been to Goodison, what is the atmosphere actually like? Because it is talked about so much in the media. Honestly, it it does it does vary. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you and say that it's always you know on point. The fans are always up for it. Like when they're up for it, they're up for it. You're so close to the pitch, you're practically on it. Like it is, yeah. you know, they talk about a bear pit. It is a bear pit. So, uh, I think when when it's on, it is on. Uh, for a couple of years, it did just it was it was toxic. There's no other way to describe it. You know, the post sort of Martinez era through the Cumin era, Allardyce, Marco Silva, Benitez. Like there was nothing to get excited about. Just progressively get worse. Yeah. Um. You know, against Arsenal, it was right back at it. You saw the scenes last year. You know, with the flares and stuff outside the stadium and the flags. I, the atmosphere, can be absolutely deafening. Like the place does shake. I know it's one hundred and twenty years old, but the place does shake. Oh, that's that's unreal. <laughs> that is unreal. I'm honestly just I'm gutted that that we're leaving. You know, you have to leave, but you don't want to. 
Yeah, I know, and it is, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a special ground. It always has been. Um, I always even just like the look of Goodison. I love the look of like old, older yeah, sort of no, football right stadiums, in of, like right in the middle of a block of houses. Yeah, like there, is, there is something special about that. But look, talking about just one of your former managers there, you mentioned Marco Silva's name. Obviously, he's gone to Fulham now, and he's doing a phenomenal job Absolutely. this season. Now, the one. The the one thing you always said to me, and I'll never forget this because like we were in school, I think of it when when Silva was the manager of Everton. You always said great attack and football, but couldn't like organising a defence. He was a shambles. Are you sort of surprised to see how well he's doing with Fulham this season? Um, yeah, obviously, obviously, I, I don't think anyone would have predicted Fulham would be in the position that they're in. I thought Marco Silva was a lot like Martinez was for us. You know, everything in everything in front of the back four, a okay, back four is just a shambles. Um, yeah. Marco Silva did at times, you know, play very good football at us, and it was nice to watch. And I think you know he's he's lucky that he has such a good goal scorer in Alexander Mitrovic, criminally underrated. I think Mitrovic could play for any team outside of the top six. Um, mm-hmm. I do. I think it's going to last. No, I, I think you think he will I, I eventually. Yeah, he he also he started out quite well at us as well. And it all sort of fell apart relatively quickly. Uh, so I'll hold out my judgment until maybe next season. But you can't discredit what they've done this year. I think they're a very good shout for a dark horse to win the FA Cup. Yeah, I, I that's not crazy to say, to be honest. They, they have been very, very good this season. And now, obviously, look... Burnley and Everton relegation rivals last year, and I remember um, me, you, and Houston going to watch Burnley and Everton oh, in Mickey's so last nightmare. year. Yeah, and what I remember us watching that game. But look, Deitch is now the new man in charge at Everton. Do you think the fans, like re- realistically, like do you think this it's a long term appointment? Number one and number two, will the fans get get behind him? I think the fans are already behind him. I that was that was fans' pick. You know, it was it was very similar to when Lampard came in last year. There was a lot of talk throughout the media. You know, and it it comes back to the board really. It's the the, the board was so fractured that you know the the owner wanted uh, Marcelo Bielsa, uh, the chairman wanted Ralph Hasenhutl, and the director of football mm-hmm. wanted Sean Dyche. Yeah, and. I, I think all of the fans agreed that we didn't want Bielsa and we didn't want Hasenhutl. It was, you want Sean Dyche. Do you think anyone's going to keep you up? It's it, it's Sean Dyche. And I think every everyone yeah. is absolutely behind him. I think it was it couldn't have been a much better two games to come into as a manager because there's no expectation. You don't expect that you're going to beat the top of the league Arsenal. And as an Everton fan, you don't expect to get anything in Anfield. Well, look, that's it. And, and look, by the time this episode comes out, um, the, the derby will have already happened. But how are you feeling about it? Like I, I said there on, on this week's bottom bins that I don't think Everton have a better have ever had a better chance to go to Anfield and get something because they are absolutely shocking. Absolutely shocking. And I, I really do think Everton's going to stick it up to them this weekend. So, like, are, are you confident or are you sitting there going, ah, uh, it's... Anfield, we, we don't have a we don't have a great record there. Maybe this is one that we'll just have to take a loss on. Or how how are you feeling about it? In general? Uh, we were in the car the other day, and my dad said it perfectly. Said this happens every sort of two years or so. 
Liverpool yeah. aren't in great form and we're you know, right up for it. We think this is going to be when we're going to get our results and it never materialises. If, if you ask me right now, I, I think this is as good of an opportunity as you're going to get. I would 100% take a draw going into it. Uh, mm-hmm. If you offer me nil-nil, I'd take it. Um, I just need to... The, the game's going to be won in the midfield. And I yeah. think that that's where we can absolutely get at them. Kill them. Like, yeah. I know, you know, like you got Thiago and boys like that, phenomenal players. But when you've got the Kure and Onana running around them for 90 minutes, you know, kicking lumps out of them, I think that's going to be the difference. And it just, it all depends on how you deal with the front three. Well, I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's a front three that's not firing at the minute. And it's like you said, Tarkovsky, Cody, they have been solid. Don't get me wrong, I know Everton have shipped goals this season, but like it's really not been down to like individual performances. Tarkovsky and Cody have actually been quite quite a good pairing together. But look, realistically, and I know you're an Everton fan, you're the blue side and Merseyside, but are you surprised with what's happening to your biggest rivals so far this season? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... You've got to think for five years now they've been bar man city they have been unstoppable you know and going into this year you, you want to peg them for first or second favorite for the league title um yeah you know it is it is eerily reminiscent of Klopp's last season at dortmund which mm-hmm. did not go very well at all although i still think that they are you know one or two signings away from being right back up there again i yeah. think you know in a hypothetical, if they got Jude Bellingham in the summer, they're they're right back up uh-huh. there. So you, you you don't take you don't take it for granted at the minute. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. And look, I'm I'm asking everybody um this question um on on this series, are Arsenal going to win the league? No. No, who you you take a Man City first? Bar you know we don't know what's going to happen. There's potential talks of uh, point deductions and stuff. I don't think that Arsenal will win the league. I think Man City have a better mentality, which will come through towards the end of the season. Fair enough. Fair enough. And the last question then for you, Connell. If you're chatting to somebody who's only looking to, to get into football now and they've never watched it before and they're talking to you about Everton, what is the reason you would give to convince them to support Everton? It's the People's Club. That's, that's all you need to know. Um, it's the people's club, you know. There's there's a lot of, a lot of people who support, you know, Liverpool or Arsenal or Man United, who aren't, you know, they're not, they're not, they don't feel part of it. When you're something that big, you don't feel a part of it. But when you're at Everton, you feel a part of it. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Well, listen, Connell, thank you so much for jumping on and thank you for, for coming on and doing this absolutely. episode with us. Uh, I expect more guest features in the future. Oh, absolutely. You can be assured of that there because, again, I always say it, like if any if one of my friends knows anything about football, it is you. And we, I always find having football conversations with you uh, more more than okay. <laughs> um, well, listen, folks, thank you so much for uh, tuning in um, and, and listening to this second installment of Team Talk, our regular Premier League 
league coverage will be coming out um, on Wednesday, if you're listening to this on the Monday. Um, we have also had a few other Premier League episodes out, so please go and give them a listen. Uh, please follow us on all of our social media handles, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. That's at Bottom Bins Pod for all of them. And as always, join us on the Parlay Sports app on the Apple App Store, where you can come in and have footballing conversations with us. Once again, Connell, thank you so Cheers, much for coming on. You. No worries. And as always, folks, keep the bottom bins.